It is Thursday, March 16th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. The field is set. And we are officially underway. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. 66 down to 64, the way God intended. Aaron Rodgers gives a little clarity on his situation, but still not traded. And some bad news from the WBC for the New York Mets. What is the Vegas lead, Scott? Well, I could spend the entire show talking about the World Baseball Classic, and uh, we'll get Please, into... Please, no. <laughs> it's not, no. It's not <laughs> the time. We'll get into, trust me, the injury uh, that everyone was talking about last night. But you mentioned it, the field of 68 down to 66, down to 64. The brackets are officially set. The first round of the NCAA tournament gets underway today. Yeah, Fairleigh Dickinson, 84-61 winners over Texas Southern. That game was never in doubt. Uh, you know, m- mistake by me to think that Texas Southern being battle-tested would be enough. They didn't show up for this one. And Arizona State, we talked about Nevada having played so poorly down the stretch. Looked like it was continuing. They looked like a team that didn't belong in the tournament. 98-73 win for Arizona State. They move on to play Iowa State. So, now we're down to the real bracket. We've got all, there's no more uh, this team or this team. We know the teams, we know who's in. And here in just a couple hours, we get to start seeing teams fall off. This is the time that I love, Scott. You know, I put on Twitter last night, you know, good thing that the committee decided to put in Nevada into the NCAA tournament, right? Like, it's because of their incredible resume. And, you know, obviously people clap back at me and they say, well, what about, you know, Rutgers losing in the NIT, Clemson losing in the NIT, all these teams losing. And and I just have to explain, like, those kids don't give a shit to be in the NIT. It's a motivation. After you have your dream, like we talk about the dream crusher with RJ all the time. After you have your dreams crushed of not making the NCAA tournament, I'm supposed to get up for a game against Hofstra? Not happening. Well, listen, if if anything, Nevada didn't deserve to be there. Rutgers didn't deserve to be there. Clemson didn't. If anything, this season is more of an, an example of why we don't need more teams in this tournament. We're good. We're good with, like... No more, please. No moss, as they say. I'm good with this. (laughs) Let's run through the first round games coming up here on Thursday. And if you haven't done so already, we did two massive dream pods this week on RJ Bell's Dream Free Review podcast feed. One episode was dedicated all to Thursday. The other episode dedicated all to Friday. AJ was the star of the show. He drove the bus, gave us all the information on every single one of these teams, the injury reports. And we'll just quickly summarize as we run through this schedule here for the games coming up today of uh, who each of us has in our brackets and who we uh, have here ATS. So we'll start with the first game, AJ, West Virginia, Maryland. Uh, I got West Virginia advancing, and I'm okay laying the two, two and a half. Yeah, uh, same thing here. Uh, I, I This is a game that 
you know, West Virginia, this is, I think, where they're rewarded for playing a Big 12 schedule. They're the only team in the in the tournament that has a losing conference record. Um, and West Virginia's experienced team. They've got five seniors starting. So Maryland, who normally have has an experience edge with their, you know, with their squad, they don't have that here. And I think there's a big coaching edge here for Bob Huggins. Kevin Willard, one in four in the first round uh, when he was at Seton Hall, and he's had much more talented teams than he's got here. Uh, Maryland lives on rebounding. West Virginia's better at it. Uh, and the other thing to think about is this, this Maryland team. There's somebody tweeted me yesterday and said, you got to stop with this same old narrative of Maryland can't win on the road. These are neutral games. They beat Miami on a neutral site. They almost beat Tennessee. They beat Miami like pre Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, like I, I do take into account the fact that you can't win games outside of your building. I don't trust Maryland. I like West Virginia here. Furman and Virginia, the 413 matchup in the South region. Uh, we talked about this uh, a lot on the Dream Pod, uh, and I- I've been convinced. So I have Furman advancing here over Virginia. So I guess that means I like the six points. Yeah, so do I. Uh, this is the ideal well, yeah, draw. Yeah, you because for- you're the one that convinced me. Yeah, so Furman is a, uh, a an incredible offensive team. They shoot the ball well from outside. They play five out. The team that's gonna the team that's gonna give them problems was gonna be an athletic team that would just smash them on the offensive glass. That's not Virginia. Virginia plays this pack line defense. They're gonna pack it in and say, "Hey, shoot over us," and Furman will say, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, so I, again, when you pick a team like this, their shots have to fall. They've got to make their shots. They're gonna get plenty of shots. I trust this team. I don't trust Virginia. I think they're overseeded. And uh, yeah, I, I think Furman, Furman proved that they can play with high major talent if the game's slow. If you look back at the Penn State game, played around 60 possessions. Of course, Virginia, one of the five slowest teams in the country. I like Furman. I, I like them to win this game. Utah State and Missouri. Uh, Utah State, a one-point favorite. Uh, this is a coin flip. I don't know which way to go in this game. Yeah, I, and I don't either. I don't... It, it, you know, if someone tells you they've got a great feel for this one, God bless them, because I certainly don't. Uh, this is a game that it was probably the most difficult for me to pick. Uh, this is it should be fun though. Teams are going to go up and down. Um, it, Mizzou allows a lot of three point shots. Utah State can hit them. Uh, and listen, the SEC they they allow thirty five percent from three in conference play, which is terrible when you consider how bad of a shooting conference the SEC is. But Utah State the the, the difference in these teams. Utah State, loved by analytics. Missouri, not loved by analytics, but they played a tough schedule. They got some good wins. Utah State did not play a good schedule, do not have quality wins. So really, it's your preference. Do you trust the analytics or do you trust a team that's been more battle-tested? I lean to Mizzou. Okay. Uh, I think I took Utah State in my brackets, but I don't don't remember. Um, Howard takes on Kansas. It's a big number. I I don't think we're expecting an upset here, but Kansas is a 22-point favorite. Would you lay the wood? No, uh, but I will take a Kansas team total over 83 and a half. This is a bad tempo matchup for Howard. Like if you're going to hang, if you're a bad team and Howard's a bad team, you have to play slow. Howard is sixth nationally in tempo on defense. Kansas just outside the top 50 in offense. They're going to give you a lot of possessions. Kansas is going to take them. And Kansas loves to play in transition. Uh, Howard kind of sloppy with the ball. So they're, they're bottom 10 in the country in turnover rate. So they usually count on offensive rebounding to to make up for those mistakes. But 
it's so much more difficult to to get offensive rebounds against a team like Kansas than it is to get in the MEAC. Uh, the MEAC historically has been one of the worst conferences. They haven't covered a first-round game since 2005. That was Delaware State losing by 11 to J.J. Reddick's Duke team. That should tell you how bad the MEAC has been. So uh, this should it should be a cruising for Kansas, but the number is is pretty outrageous. Speaking of an outrageous number, Alabama 24-point favorites over Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I think that's probably fair. Uh, these Here's the two things Corpus does. It's a nightmare. They, they'll let you play fast, and they'll let you shoot threes. Alabama wants to play fast. They want to shoot threes. Nightmare matchup. Uh, I don't know if I'm laying such a big number, but Alabama should be able to call their number. Okay, let's move on to the 12-5 matchup in the South. Charleston and San Diego State. San Diego State, four-and-a-half-point favorites. Yeah, San Diego State has a pretty bad travel disadvantage here, having to go Orla- go to Orlando for this from the West Coast. But they're the much more physical team. Charleston is fun offense. Uh, they thrive on the offensive glass in their conference. This is a this is a much more different level of physicality than what they see in the Colonial League. They're not dealing with this type of length or athleticism. So if you're a good rebounding team in the Colonial, you're probably not even on the map in the Mountain West. Charleston's going to shoot a ton of threes. They take threes at a top 10 rate nationally, but they only hit at 210th rate nationally. So uh, San Diego State elite guarding the perimeter. They rank seventh in opponents, three-point percentage. That takes away the path to offense for Charleston. I, I think this is uh, – Charleston's a team I think a lot of people are going to pick to win. I, I don't think they do. I think they lose this game pretty handily. Mm, okay. Uh, Princeton and Arizona. Arizona laying 14. Yeah, Princeton, this is not uh, the typical Princeton team that you you see in the bracket. And you go, ooh, these guys are going to play somebody tough. Nobody's going to want to see this team. This is a team that was generally the third best team in the Ivy this year. Uh, they were the Ivy was penciled into a 13 spot with the assumption that Yale was going to win it. When Yale lost, it got bumped down to the 15 line. And the biggest issue for Princeton is they play they don't play fast. They play fast for an Ivy League team. So they're like an average pace team. If if you're going to hang with a team like Arizona, you got to be able to slow the game down. They can't because Arizona is going to speed it up. If you could slow it down some and make it a below average pace game. Maybe you can hang in a big number. Princeton can't do that. Uh, I just don't see a path for them. They haven't played a power six opponent all season. They're just going to be overwhelmed by one of the more athletic teams in the country here. The 8-9 matchup in the West, Illinois-Arkansas, Arkansas laying two. I like the Hogs here. Uh, This boils down to my preference just being if if I've got a chance to fade Big Ten teams, I'm going to fade Big Ten teams. Arkansas doesn't – they don't want to play offense in the half court ever. They want to get out and run and finish at the rim. Illinois is an excellent rim protection team, but the problem is they struggle with turnovers, which you can't do against uh, Arkansas. If Illinois can get back and set up their defense, they've got a good chance. The problem is they turn the ball over so much, Arkansas should punish them. And this is a real talent gap. Arkansas has two guys in Nick Smith and and Anthony Black that are probably NBA lottery picks – they may have four NBA guys on their roster right now. Uh, so this is a, sort of an under, from a talent standpoint, this is an underperforming team. This is a team that's got high-level talent, hasn't quite lived up to it this season. I, I like them a little more than I like Illinois right now. And the 8-9 matchup in the Midwest, Auburn and Iowa. Auburn a one-point favorite. 
again, this is another one of those games that, you know, I say not every game am I going to have a great feel for. Yeah. And probably often it's going to be these eight, nine games that are true coin flip games. What I do like about Auburn here is they've got a home court edge, you know, the playing this game in Birmingham, but this is a dumb Auburn team. They take bad shots. Uh, they're not good on offense. The good news is they're playing against Iowa who can't play any defense. They're soft. They can score, but I don't know. I, Fran McCaffrey, generally an underperformer in the tournament. This is the weakest team he's had in five years. I'll trust Bruce Pearl over Fran McCaffrey here. Yeah, so will I. And you mentioned it, playing in Birmingham, they're going to have a massive uh, home advantage there. Uh, the 12-5 matchup in the East, Oral Roberts against Duke. Duke laying six. I like Oral Roberts here. Uh, I'm excited to see them. I think this is maybe the best 12 seed that I can remember. They've won 17 straight games. They've lost once since Thanksgiving. This is a top 25 offense. They can shoot from outside, which you've got to be able to do against Duke. They've got an elite rim protector in Derek Lively, and they don't turn it over at all. Number one nationally in protecting the ball, comfortable playing in the half court or transition. They've got an elite backcourt with Max Asmus and Isaac McBride and an elite rim protector inside scorer in seven foot five Arkansas transfer, Connor Vanover. Massive. Uh, Duke has a big man as well, Kyle Filipowski. He's playing great ball right now, but Duke hasn't played much of a schedule this year, more like in, relative to recent Duke teams. And part of that's the ACC so down. They have one win against a top 30 Ken Palm team. That was all the way back in November against Xavier. Oral Roberts, a team I like, a team that's been in the tournament a couple years ago. Remember, they were two points away from getting to the Elite Eight two, two seasons ago with Max Asmus, who's the superstar player here. They've just got more of a roster around him now. I think Oral Roberts is live to win this. I've got to take the points. Moving on, we take a look at the Colgate-Texas matchup, where Texas is laying 13 and a half. Yeah, Colgate, one of the best offenses in the country. They're a great three-point shooting team. They're top 10 in two-point percentage, do a good job rebounding on defense, uh, despite the fact they're terribly undersized. But that's the key. They are going to – there's just a physical difference between these Texas kids and these Colgate kids. Uh, Texas is playing their best ball right now. They, they beat Kansas by 20 in the Big 12 championship. They became the third team in the history of time to beat the Jayhawks by 16 points or more twice in the same season. They're a top 10 team in experience. That's despite not being big, they're elite defensively. I just think their physicality overwhelms Colgate. They cruise. I don't know if I'm laying these points, uh, but I'm certainly not taking them with Colgate. Boise State Northwestern, the 10-7 matchup. Northwestern, one and a half point favorites. I, I tend to like Boise here. Uh, this is, I think it's a general fade of the Mountain West is what you're seeing, but I'm fading the Big Ten as well. Mm -hmm. Mountain West has struggled of late. They're 1-11 dating back to 2016 in the first round of the first four. Uh, and I, I guess, well, after last night, you can make it 1-12. Thanks, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think the conference is better this year. I think Boise and San Diego State particularly are more athletic which is something that helps you in the tournament that they didn't have the last couple of years. Northwestern stinks on offense. Like the, the things that they excel at are not turning the ball over and making free throws. But if you can't get to the free throw line, it doesn't matter what your free throw percentage is. Boise doesn't play for steals defensively. They're going to be happy to dare Northwestern to find a shot they can make. I don't trust that they can. The big weakness for Boise is depth. That doesn't matter in the first game of the tournament. I like the Broncos to advance here. 
Really? Okay. So an outright win for the 10 seed. I think I have that in my bracket, so I'm happy about it. Houston laying 18 against Northern Kentucky. This is a game where we are not afraid to lay the wood, right? I am not afraid to lay it with Houston. I think they can call their number. They got a team in Northern Kentucky who is a zone defense, and what they give up by playing that is offensive rebounding. Nobody hits the offensive boards like Houston does. Houston is going to get, I, I do not, I'm not exaggerating. I think Houston could get 45 to 50% of their misses, get a second look at them. They can call the number here. It's going to be a slow game, which makes it hard to cover 18 points, but Houston's played slow all season and we've seen them blow teams out. This is the most blowoutable team you could have put in front of the Cougs. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about Sasser's status. I don't think it matters. I think the Cougs roll. Louisiana and Tennessee, Tennessee laying 11 and a half. Yeah, I think the number's too big, uh, but I think generally Tennessee is a team that people wanted to fade. You know, they don't have Zakai Ziegler, so everybody's like, oh, we got to fade Tennessee, and it's a 4-13, so people are like, I, I think we can see an outright win here. I would I would caution you to be careful. This The way they match up isn't totally ideal for Louisiana. Uh, they're, the guards for Louisiana aren't going to beat you, uh, but – I do think this Louisiana team is a little undervalued. Sunbelt's better than people think. It's the 14th best conference per Ken Palm, so it's better than the Missouri Valley, better than the MAC. And while Tennessee has the ability to blow bad teams out, I don't think Louisiana's that bad. And Tennessee's offense, I don't trust them to get a huge margin right now while they're playing without their point guard. Penn State, three-point dogs against Texas A&M. Yeah, I, I like Penn State here. Um, Penn State making a they had kind of a magical run during the tournament. These teams play very, very opposite styles. Penn State relies on hitting outside shots. Namely, they've got a superstar guard in Jalen Pickett. Uh, they don't turn the ball over. That said, Texas A&M, they, they don't shoot it well at all. A&M needs to get offensive rebounds and get to the free throw line to have success on offense because they can't shoot. Penn State, top 50 defensive rebounding team in the country despite being undersized, and they don't foul, so they're not going to give you free points at the line. Penn State pressed against Purdue and really knocked them off their game in the Big Ten title game. I think A&M could be in for a similar fate. They're bottom 40 uh, nationally in steals allowed. And if you give Penn State extra possessions, they're putting up extra threes against an Aggie team that hasn't really faced an elite shooting team all year. I think Penn State's live to win here. And the final game of the night is UCLA-UNC Asheville. UCLA laying 18. Yeah, UCLA is not the team they've been most of the season. Jalen Clark blowing out his Achilles just before the conference tournament. He's key to what they do. He's the third leading scorer on the team, second in rebounds. But most importantly, he is the key to their success on defense. He's assigned to the opponent's best player. So when you look at UCLA and you see number one in Ken Palm defensive rating, that's not the truth. His absence is going to be felt. Tyjon Jones shooting 46% from three this season. That would be Jalen Clark's draw. Uh, but also, they've got Drew Pember, the Tennessee transfer, who was not only the Big South Player of the Year, also the Big South Defensive Player of the Year, stretch big, hitting 38 from, uh, from outside, 38%. UCLA has a big in Adembona, who can give him some trouble, but he's a freshman, hasn't seen a lot of bigs as versatile as Pember, and missed a Pac-12 championship game with an injury. So I don't know how healthy UCLA is. Cannot lay a big number with them. 
They don't shoot threes. They don't attack the rim. It's an old-school offense that thrives in the mid-range. Not a team I'm looking to lay big wood with. So that's a rundown of the games coming up later on today. The first round of the NCAA tournament gets underway. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll recap the Thursday games. We'll preview the Friday games, and we'll take a quick look at what's coming up over the weekend here in College Shoots. Well, the big story in the NFL, we continue to wait on when Aaron Rodgers will become a New York Jet. And I say when he'll become a New York Jet and not if, AJ, because Aaron Rodgers confirmed yesterday on the Pat McAfee show that he intends to play football for the New York Jets. That was the quote. I quote, I made it clear my intention was to play and to play for the New York Jets, end quote. So the the end result of this conversation is that the Packers are maybe holding up the deal, trying to get the best that they can from the New York Jets. But I think Aaron Rodgers coming out and saying this takes all of the power away from the Green Bay Packers now. Uh, yeah, it's I, I don't know, because like the way Aaron Rodgers is making it sound like everything's being held up by uh, by Green Bay here. I mean, maybe Green Bay is willing to play hardball here. Like, I, I do think if you're gonna if you're gonna move on from maybe the the best player in your franchise's history, it's hard to do that and satisfy your fans. You have to make sure you get a healthy return. And it all boils. I don't know exactly what they're asking for. I, I, I mean, if they're asking for multiple first rounders or something, okay, the Packers are being irrational. But I do think it's not crazy for the Packers to ask for the, the, a first round pick. And if that's what the holdup is, then I've got I, the balls back in the Jets court, in my opinion. I don't mm. think the Packers are being unreasonable. And the Jets, do, hey, do you want this guy or not? Uh, of course, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you don't want your new team to give up assets. Like you want your new team to hold on to as much as they can because you want to be able to build around, you know, you want to build up around you. Uh, but that's always the dichotomy of these things. Like I said, with Derek Carr, when Derek Carr, when the when the Raiders were saying, "Hey, go find yourself a trade," I said, "If I'm Derek Carr, why would I do that? Why would I say, <laughs> hey, new team, why don't you give my old team a bunch of stuff and cripple us going forward when I can just make the Raiders move on from me? They can cut me, they can eat it, and then you don't have to give up anything. I'll sign here. Maybe that's the game that the Packers are playing with the Jets. Like, and the Jets really, you, you talk about having no leverage. We talk, we've talked about this several times. The musical chairs game of quarterbacks is coming to an end. If the Jets don't have Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, the Jets don't have a viable playoff team because he's the last guy. He's the last one out there who can help this team get over the hump, who can really improve them from what they were a year ago. So the Jets are kind of painted into a corner here. It feels sort of like a little bit of a standoff. Yeah, uh, I would expect this to get resolved sooner rather than later because – that's it. There's no more hurdles. Rogers coming out and speaking has to be able to move this thing forward now uh, because it makes maybe it makes the Packers look bad. And uh, the sooner that they can cut ties with Aaron Rodgers, the better it is for them. Uh, here's the good thing for the Packers, though. Like in the eyes of the public, I don't think the Packers can look bad in this situation because if you say, OK, there's there, there's 32 teams in the NFL, 30 fan bases. Like, if you ask the other 30 fan bases besides the Jets and the Packers fans, like, do you think Aaron Rodgers is the bad guy or the Packers are the bad guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 30 Rogers out of 32 been, yeah. think Aaron Rodgers is an absolute headache to deal with. 
So I don't know that the Packers can come out of this thing looking too bad if they play hardball. Elsewhere, the Cowboys make it official. It's something that we knew what was coming, but the Ezekiel Elliott has been released after seven seasons with the team. Can Zeke still be a number one running back on a team, AJ, or does he have to be in a split backfield like he was recently with Tony Pollard? Absolutely has to be in a split backfield, but I don't think that's a problem because, I mean, how many running backs aren't in a split backfield Derek these Henry. days? Like, uh, yeah, there's, it's like uh, you can count them on Saquon one hand. Barkley. So uh, I, I don't think anybody looks at him as a bell cow back anymore, but I don't think that's necessarily a problem. You need him to be one of your two guys. Uh, and yeah, I think Zeke can still do that. I mean, it's been a long time since Zeke was able to be like a, you know, carry the load type of guy. So I'm, a, you said everybody kind of expected it. I, I thought that maybe this was going to come down to Zeke was going to just take re- renegotiate his contract to where he was making like a pittance, but uh maybe they they decided that they wanted him to take too much of a, a contract or too much of a pay cut. So he decided, you know, maybe the best move is for me to go on to somewhere else. So, uh, you know, because I, I, it felt like Zeke understood where he where he was in the pecking mm-hmm. order in Dallas. Um, but yeah, I, so I'm I'm a little surprised that he's moving on. I'm curious to see where he ends up. Uh, he's definitely going to be able to contribute to a team uh, immediately, in my opinion. Elsewhere, the Bengals bolster their offensive line by signing Pro Bowl Orlando Brown. Four years, $64 million in what we can only say is a great move. Yeah, the Bengals, what their weakness the last couple of years has been this offensive line. You could argue it's kept them from winning a Super Bowl, maybe two. So to go out there and get the best available offensive lineman, certainly played a pre- uh paid a premium for him but i think it's all it's worth every penny this is a a great signing for the Bengals, and man the Bengals just keep getting better and better they're so close uh this seems like the right move that could really put them over the top uh miles sanders back with his former offensive coordinator as he signs with the carolina panthers so uh, this seems to be like a good fit after being bounced from the eagles yeah you know i i, I said yesterday is this a uh, is this a big deal uh, for the Eagles, most people th- seem to think that it, it wasn't that big of a deal for the Eagles, but it seems like it's a probably a good deal for the for the Panthers. It seems like a good fit for a team that traded away their running back last year and needed an influx of talent. So uh, they start to rebuild this thing. I, I, I like this move for the for the Panthers. So it reunites him with Deuce Staley because uh, Deuce Staley is the Panthers assistant yep. head coach and the running back and uh, running backs coach. And that's what a role that he held with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So um, it's certainly uh, a good move for Miles Sanders to be someplace where he's comfortable. There's a lot going on in free agency in the NFL. Like it feels like more than usual. Like there's just, everything's coming at us hot and heavy right now. This is a, this is a busy off season. Oh, for sure. World baseball classic down in Miami an exciting game between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. Like literally one of the more exciting baseball games that you'll watch. That's not an actual major league baseball playoff game. Five, two was the final over 36,000 fans in attendance, but every good thing that happened in this game, including a Francisco Lindor little league home run, you know, where like the ball got by the center fielder and he just ran around the bases. It, it, It was exciting. All of it 
completely flushed down the drain because after the game, when Puerto Rico was celebrating because they advanced into the elimination round, closer Edwin Diaz hurt his knee. We don't, during the celebration. During the celebration. Yep, he closed the game. And you know when they like the players jump on each other and, and yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. They, they jump up and down in like a little circle or whatever? Well, he collapsed to the ground. The players immediately called for the trainers. And whatever Edwin told his teammates, it the, the looks on their faces indicated that it was not good. His brother, Alexi Diaz, was like crying as they helped Edwin Diaz off the field. They put him in a wheelchair. He waved to the crowd. And then that's it. We'll hopefully get an update on his status later on today. The Mets said after the game, it's a right knee injury, and he's going to undergo imaging. I know Major League Baseball, like, you know, you're growing the game, the world game, but, man, teams are not going to like this, having their key guys get hurt at this world baseball, like at these – uh, what are essentially to the owners, they're just exhibition games, right? This is I mean, this, this isn't me, fun for them. I, I understand that the players really enjoy this. But a couple of years ago, the NHL made the decision that they would not be stopping for the Olympics. And they would not allow NHL players to participate in the Olympics. It was a decision made by the owners. It was a decision made, you know, with TV partners in mind and things like that. And ultimately, they felt, hey, we don't want to stop our season for two weeks, have our players go, you know, 110% at the Olympics and come back hurt and it ruins our chances at a Stanley Cup. I don't know why any owner in Major League Baseball would allow their players to participate in the World Baseball Classic because as much as you want to have rules, and they do, to limit pitch counts, because it's still spring training and they don't want these guys going, you know, pushing themselves too hard. Whenever these players, especially the Latin American players, play for their countries, they are filled with such pride. It overtakes any cautiousness that they have. Or common sense. Like there's no there's no only throwing 70%. There's no only running 80%. Right. No, 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 no. It's a hundred percent pedal to the metal and injuries are going to ha- yes this was a fluke injury and and, and again that's what people are going to say this was a fluke injury he was celebrating he didn't throw his arm out it doesn't matter because when edwin diaz has an immaculate inning in port st lucie in a spring training game against the reds split squad the mets aren't jumping up and down on the mound and having a potential for an injury okay that's that, that it would never happen so for me i always have said they should follow the hockey model which is the iihf world championships are a tournament that occurs every year it goes on in may which is at the end of the NHL regular season. Players that are playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they don't play in the World Championships. But when their teams are eliminated, some players do choose to go and play for their countries. Alexander Ovechkin used to do this all the time. The Capitals would get eliminated from the playoffs, and he would go to like Helsinki and go play for Russia in the World Championships. That's what happens. Play the World Baseball Classic during the Major League Baseball postseason. Now you have well, during the Major League Baseball postseason in October, you have everyone's attention. 
every night there's a game and if you in the off days in between games you had a world baseball classic game you could dominate the tv ratings and don't have to worry about getting crushed by football and you would get players that would participate and players that would give 100% and you don't have to worry about injuries because I'm telling you right now there's going to be a I know again I'll say it again this was a fluke injury there's going to be a major revisiting of this tournament to decide whether or not to do it again. AJ, these bad teams in the NBA who are already, it looks like, maybe clinched their spots in the lottery, they're fighting. They it's are crazy. fighting every night now. Why? What are, what are they doing? I guess they're just comfortable. They, there's enough separation. They're like, hey, we don't have to embarrass ourselves anymore. The Pistons... The Rockets and the Warriors, 16, 17, and 18 wins. Next closest team has 22. They're thinking, well, bottom three teams all get the same amount of ping pong balls. We're secure in that bottom group. Might as well play some ball, have some fun. And it's it's leading to some unexpected wins. Yeah. Two straight wins for the Rockets, in fact. What's going on in the Break world? Break up Houston. Rockets beat the Lakers 114-110. Uh, we saw the... We win one more, and that's <laughs> a winning streak. But we saw the Spurs, coming off of a win, play hard once again as they took the Mavericks to overtime. Now, again, it's a Dallas team that did not have Kyrie Irving and did not have Luka Doncic, but still, it's the Dallas Mavericks, and it took them overtime to defeat the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, I I mean, I I think maybe we got to stop looking at these doormats uh, like in the same way we were earlier this season. It's pretty obvious these teams were tanking. I'm not blaming them for it, but it's pretty obvious. I think now the memo's out, hey, we're going to play hard here for a little while, and unless they get within another game or two of the uh, of the danger zone where they're not going to be in that bottom three, I'd expect them to keep playing hard. Celtics pick up a 104-102 win over the Timberwolves. Jalen Brown, 35 points and 10 boards. The Kings beat the Bulls, 117-114. Uh, De'Aaron Fox with a... Big three-pointer in the closing seconds of that game. Heat over the Grizzlies, 138-119. The Sixers beat the Cavs, 118-109. Joel Embiid, 36 points, 18 boards. And with each passing game, AJ, I'm starting to think that there is a chance. And maybe maybe it's just because of voter fatigue, but I think there's a chance that Embiid could be the MVP. I, I don't know that you're wrong. I, I mean, what he's doing is pretty impressive. I will say this. Did you see how, what happened in this game last night? It, the Sixers were up, and they called the sixth foul on Embiid. You know, Cleveland fans were excited. Embiid's kicked out of the game. Well, Doc Rivers challenged the call, which they re- replay reviewed, and overturned, and he was able to stay on the floor. <laughs> and We don't think it's a foul. JB Bickerstaff lost his mind. He's like, clear as day. That was a charge. There's no doubt about it. The call's made on the floor. He stands between him and the basket. Evan laid it all out on the line. Guys ought to be rewarded for that. If you stick your nose in there and sacrifice your body, you should be rewarded for the correct play. And he said, there wasn't enough contact to be a charge. That's what they told him. He said, I mean, there's a 300-pound man who bowls through your chest. <laughs> it's a charge. It's that simple. Uh, and Doc Rivers, of course, says, I thought he flopped. I called that one right away. He said he flopped. Don't even don't even look at my replay guy. I knew that we were going to overturn it. Oh, so, 
Yeah, but he remains in the game, obviously, and a, a big win for the Sixers. Yeah, Sixers now 46-22 and 22 on the season. They are three and a half games back of the Bucks for the one seed in the East, but just one game back of the Celtics for the two seed. And uh, one other game last night. The night ended with your system, AJ, picking up a win. Yeah, I don't like to brag, but uh, the new system, <laughs> the NBA system, uh, is off to a good start. 2-0 and since we said we're doing this thing, and we're doing it. We're betting against the Warriors' money line on the road, and we're betting on them money line at home. Warriors lose on the road, 134-126, despite Steph Curry putting up a 50-burger they still lose. Draymond Green got his 16th technical foul, which means he's got a one-game suspension coming his way unless they overturn it, which if I'm the Warriors this close to the end of the season, I say let him miss the game because you don't want that foul to come, that technical foul to come yeah. during the, the playoffs and have him miss a playoff game. So well, get I it think out it of the resets way. in the playoffs. Oh, does it? Okay. I think wow. so. Okay. Well, either way, uh, Draymond looking at a one-game suspension uh, after picking up a tee uh, in the in the Clippers game last night. You know, it's crazy. Like it, you're, you're starting the system now, and you're two and zero, but it's been all season. The Warriors twenty-nine and seven at home, seven and twenty-six on the road. That's we were get, we get look how much money we gave up. We just just get so much FOMO, so much FOMO. Uh, what's on the schedule tonight? Nuggets at the Pistons. Nuggets laying 12 and a half on the road. The Sacramento Kings, second half of a back-to-back. -back. They are three-point dogs at the Nets. That doesn't sound right to me. Kings catching three at Brooklyn. I'd be inclined to look at the Kings there. Uh, the Thunder, plus six and a half at Toronto. The Magic are seven-point dogs against the Suns. And the Milwaukee Bucks laying 13 and a half, hosting the Indiana Pacers. The scoring continues, AJ. Uh, honestly, I touched upon it on yesterday's show about how there's just been a lot of scoring lately in the NHL. And this could just be, you know, a, a streak of games or a streak of days where scoring is up or this could be an indication that this is what's going to happen now for the rest of the season because maybe fatigue is setting in I don't know but just like last night or two nights ago the the overs dominated last night it was the same thing wild beat the blues 8-5 8-5 Islanders 6-3 over the Ducks Capitals 5-4 over the Sabres you did have one under. That was the Avalanche 2-1 over the Maple Leafs. But 3-1 and one to the over? If you bet the over in every game last night, and you bet the over in every game on Tuesday, and you bet the over in every game back on Monday, you are up a ton of units. It's just, it's... it's Why haven't we been doing this? Why isn't this the system? Because we are morons. <laughs> Overs went 3-0 and oh on Monday. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten and two on Tuesday. So if you're keeping score, that ten and two and three and zero oh is, yeah, thirteen and two. And that then last, and then last night three and one. That's sixteen and three since Monday. The overs. 
And now every game here on Thursday will go under. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just what listen, we have a huge schedule coming up here tonight. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if every game goes under because of all these overs. But it happens. There, it, I remember last year there was a streak like this where, and I, I forgive me because I don't remember exactly the date was, if it was around the same time as it was last year. But yeah, we we this isn't something that is like strange. Like it has happened before where we've had just an incredible run of overs. Here's what's going on tonight. Canadians at the Panthers total in this game is 7. So I think the sports book is the book is like, yeah, we're done with these sixes or maybe six and a halfs. Uh it's a 7 on the board. Penguins are at the Rangers. This is the second meeting between the two teams in the past couple of days. They will play again on Saturday, so expect a playoff like feel at Madison Square Garden. Lightning are at the Devils. Same thing. This is the second time these two teams are playing in a matter of days, and they will play again on Sunday. Expect this to be a playoff-like feel. Avalanche are at the Senators. The Blackhawks at the Predators. Nashville minus 267. The Bruins, who have lost three straight or two straight games, right? They had this little, um, this split with the, uh, Red Wings, right? And then they lose to Chicago. So back-to-back losses for the, the Bruins to Detroit and Chicago to start the road trip. Now they're at Winnipeg before going to Minnesota and to Buffalo. I don't know how motivated the Bruins are on this road trip. They've already clinched everything. You know, they're, they're good. They're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They're going to have the President's Trophy. Actually, probably not determined yet, the President's Trophy. But yeah, they have 105 points, and Carolina has 96. So not a lot of games left. They should be able to lock that one up. But I don't know about the motivation. I really don't. So I'm curious about the Bruins uh, over this road trip as it continues. The Stars are at the Oilers. Edmonton minus 135. Canucks at the uh, Coyotes, Mullet Arena. Vancouver minus 145. The uh, Golden Knights here in Vegas host the Flames and VGK minus 120. Blue Jackets are at the Kings. And you might have uh, Jonas Corposalo, the former Blue Jackets goaltender, could be in net for the Kings facing his old team. LA is minus 305. And the Kraken are at the Sharks. Seattle is minus 165. Head on over to pregame.com and jump on board any daily best bet package or season-long subscription and take 20% off because we are just such nice guys. The promo code in the spirit of the NCAA tournament is NCAA20. It'll get you 20% off anything you'd like at pregame.com. And if you are not a pregame.com member, sign up. It's free and you get 25 to use just for signing up. Again, the promo code is NCAA20. Gets you 20% off at pregame.com. Good luck in your bracket pools, last man standing, survivors, whatever you're in. NCAA tournament begins this morning. What a great time. For AJ Hoffman, I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas. Hey, yeah.